Okay, stay away from those Coke soda machines. If it was a Pepsi one, no problems, because that is much better than Coke. No, I know, that's very sad that you guys haven't been enlightened in that. But anyway, that's for another series. Well, this morning we're, in a sense, wrapping up this segment of our series, Can't Touch This. Uh, next week we're uh, going to be starting another series leading into Christmas, and that's going to be called Seeking. You've got that little invite card in your program. I would encourage you to use those. Uh, use those to invite somebody. And even if the first step is just inviting them to watch online, that's a great thing. And uh, you're not going to believe me saying this as long as it didn't become a regular thing. But even if you invited them over your house, watched it online with them, and uh, got them just to see what being at Seneca Community Church is all about. So uh, use those opportunities. Just don't uh, let them go by the wayside, if you will. So again, we're in our sixth part of uh, Can't Touch This. Uh, last week, we talked about uh, wine and weed, and today, uh, feeling lucky. And after service, those of you who have some follow-up questions, uh, we'll be meeting in the large kids' zone room. And again, I may not be able to answer them off the top of my head, but at least we'll discuss them and uh, see about uh, what we can do. So today we're talking about feeling lucky. We're talking about gambling and what that is like, gaming. And uh, wouldn't you like to, uh, in a sense, strike it rich, win or something? And just imagine what you could do if you So what could you buy with all that cash? Try 600,000 of the latest iPhone or 18,000 of Tiffany's most expensive rings. Feeling more extravagant? How about 300 gold-plated private planes from Neiman Marcus's Fantasy Gifts catalog? What would you do with that kind of money? Uh, pay off student debt. I would buy a house in Dubai, several properties around. Yes, lots of options there. And right now, uh, you know, I, I tried to find out if anyone won last night, but there was one big Powerball thing. I think they were up to $825 million. So what would you do with all of that? Um, how would you work that? Uh, all of us, maybe not all of us, but some of us have wondered if that ever happened to us, uh, what things would look like. Uh, you may remember this couple, but this is pretty amazing. This is a couple that uh, I think they've got over $300 million, and this is what they did. Southern Californians Jackie and Gilbert Cisneros, the dream became reality, winning $266 million playing Mega Millions in 2010. We didn't buy a new car. We didn't go travel anywhere. We didn't, we didn't do a lot of that stuff. Instead, they started a foundation and scholarship in their names at USC. We just saw a need in, in the community. Tonight at this office, 21 people are pooling their money. Well, we haven't gotten lucky yet, but we're going to get lucky. This feels like the one. While the odds of winning both games is one in 75 quadrillion, you can't win if you don't try, right? Please, Lord. Please, Lord. Please, Lord. Blake McCoy, NBC News, Chicago. I don't know if that's the way to buy a ticket or not, but uh, we never found out if she won or not. And then, you know, what complicates things is a few years ago, we had Del Largo open up, and that's just right up the street. And so what do we do about that? How do we wrestle with that? Traditionally, when you talk about being a Christ follower, any kind of gambling, any kind of games of uh, chance were off the table. So what does Scripture really uh, say about that? And you may remember this, and this is from a blast from the past, but just a few years ago uh, when they were opening up up there. 
The door here at Del Lago actually just opened a little more than an hour ago, and you can see it is already packed with people. There are 2,000 slot machines, 77 table games, and 15 poker tables here. People started lining up to get in around 7 o'clock this morning. The governor, casino owners, and management did an official ribbon cutting before letting the crowd in. This is the first of the approved upstate casinos to open, so there was much fanfare. Local leaders here in Seneca County tell me even if you're not a gambler or don't plan on coming here, the money this casino will generate, they're hoping will ultimately help all taxpayers. We've already seen the benefits of Del Lago in that the uh, gaming license that Del Lago had to pay to New York State. Uh, we uh, had a two and a half million dollar share of, of that license. With that money, we were able to reduce our town property taxes by 50% for 2017. 1,500 people, that's how many Del Lago has employed so far. Most of them are from the counties surrounding Seneca County and Seneca County, including Monroe County. They expect to hire 300 more right now. So that's the world we live in. What do we do with that? What's acceptable? What isn't acceptable? Uh, what does the, how does the Lord feel about that? I know when that place first opened up, uh, somebody said, let's go up there and use that, eat that great uh, buffet dinner kind of thing. It was like two for one. And, uh, you know, I will say that uh, I think for me, uh, the Lord was not happy with it because I ate so much food. You know, it had nothing to do with being in the casino. But anyway, you live you may not live but you live in this tension so we're asking this question again what are my options in the area of whatever and so we're talking about gaming talking about gambling and what are our options what is permissible what is okay how close to okay do we get and uh, th those are hard decisions and we've talked about this idea of walking close with Christ so the Lord helps us uh, figure these things out. We're going to find some people that uh, don't have problems with certain things, do have problems with other things. These are what we call a matter of conscience. You can go back a couple weeks and uh, see how we got to that uh, conclusion, that grid, that matrix of thinking through. And again, as we look at these things, we read that Paul says, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. And then I love this phrase from Eugene Peterson's paraphrase translation, but the point is not to just get by. So when we come to any of these hot topics that are too hot to touch, we have to ask, where is our heart? It's not about just getting close enough to what may or may not be wrong before it becomes wrong. If that's the bent of our hearts, we're approaching it incorrectly. It's not about what I can get away with. It's about how do I live a life, if I'm a Christ follower, that demonstrates that I'm following Christ and ultimately points to him. That's the question we should be asking, not what I can get away with. So you have this matrix in your notes. I think it should be all filled out except for that last W. We'll talk about that in a few moments. And again, as we're walking through this, we're always asking ourselves, what is the wisest thing for me to do? And knowing who I am, knowing God has wired me, knowing those who are around me, what is the wisest thing to do? And I'm um, stealing a question from a book by Andy Stanley. Uh, the idea also is, what does love require of me? And sometimes 
it's okay it's fine for us to participate in something but because of love we choose not to go down that road because of the ripple effects it will have in somebody else's life and that is a thought that needs to be thought about but it can also be overplayed and in our community group last week we talked about how that can be overplayed how you can overplay somebody else's perceived weakness so it actually boxes you in and you become a captive to someone else's weakness there's a time and place for that and then there's other times where we say you know they, they just they got to grow up and come to terms with that and again without unpacking every situation you know I just just leave it um, hanging there so what does the Bible in gambling what what does it have to say about that and uh, you can start thinking you can think about passages you can think about little stories uh, you can think about when Jonah got thrown overboard they cast lots and threw him overboard what, what's that all about they were in a sense you know seeing what would happen and uh, so what does the Bible really have to say? There's these little situations, big situations. It really has to say nothing. And back to our matrix, we're going to see that we're going to have to look at principles and what is wise for us and wise for others. I mean, we even have this situation, and it's not even said negatively. It's said matter-of-factly. When Jesus was dying on the cross, they took Jesus' clothes and they cast lots for him. When they are crucifying him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And to me, this is more about the humiliating uh, surrender of Christ and who he was and dying for us. But it's really not making a statement whether this kind of action is wrong. I mean, all of us, uh, to some degree, participate every time we go to a silent auction Every time uh, we buy a raffle ticket, school's trying to raise some money for something and we're participating in it. When is that okay and when is that not okay? And how does that fit in your life of following Christ? So we just got to get into this idea of the principles in gambling. Now, one area we can say is totally off the charts, is totally wrong, is when you and I think we're gambling so that we can give up our job. It's like this idea, if I could just strike it rich, then I wouldn't have to work anymore. Then I could just kind of live for myself, just kick back, spend money when I want to spend money, have what I want. I wouldn't have to work. I could kind of be a little bit lazy or a lot lazy. When you and I are thinking about this, uh, throughout Scripture, there's this idea that you should keep your day job. <laughs> you and I are supposed to be engaged in our world. We're supposed to be working. Some of us uh, need to work for an income. Some of us just need to use who God's made us and serve. Some of us uh, work and serve and we get paid for it. Some of us uh, don't have to do that. Some of us are retired. And it's not just about saving up for retirement so you can kind of live for yourself. So the idea is, again, keep your day job. There's lots of uh, scriptures, lots of principles that point to this idea. Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. Idea of working, working to do what you need to do. But when you and I uh, don't work, it brings poverty. And the first thing we would think about is the poverty it brings to our financial bottom line. But there's also the idea that it's a poverty that brings to our life. I've met people that... Uh, you know, retire and stop doing any kind of work, 
and it's like their life kind of shrivels up. One time I was in line at a uh, pastor's uh, event, and there were two old-time pastors that had come for this, this conference, and they're talking in line, and they're talking about good old, let's call him Jake, who was kind of in their age group. And when Jake retired, he had saved enough money, he says, when, and they were talking to him before this, and he said, what, have you heard from Jake? And they said, yeah, I remember what Jake said. When he was retired from being a pastor, he was going to do nothing. He was going to take all his money, go to Florida, and just play golf and do absolutely nothing. And the other guy said, well, what's he up to? Well, he, you know, he was down in Florida and kind of lasted a year and died. He just didn't have anything to do, you know, and just kind of shriveled up. The other two guys were just going, 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 even though they didn't need necessarily income. This idea of the poverty that it brings to your life, having something to live for, live for a person, for people. Uh, we also read uh, hard work always pays off. Mere talk puts no bread on the table. Uh, if you're just sitting around dreaming for this big deal to happen uh, and then you can take it easy, that does not put bread on the table. It doesn't mean you shouldn't have a vision, you shouldn't have a dream, you shouldn't have a goal. But uh, there are those that uh, just talk about those things and then just never engage, never really do anything. And uh, hard work pays off. We're called to hard work all throughout the scriptures, especially the Old Testament, this idea of engaging. There's even in New Testament some passages that talk about people that aren't willing to work. Yeah, you shouldn't feed them. There was this idea that people that were not uh, working uh, were getting handouts from the church, and that was fine when they needed it. That's the church wants to do that. But in this case, there were actually people that weren't doing anything, and Paul says if they won't work, they shouldn't eat. It's the idea that you and I were made to work. Even Adam and Eve, before the fall, he was they were designed to work the garden. It's an expression of who we are. It brings satisfaction to life. Again, it's not just poverty for your bottom line. It's poverty for your life, not working, just kind of not doing anything. Uh, there was the one who stays on the job, has food on the table, but the one who chases fantasies has no sense. And uh, we've all met folks. Sometimes we've been that folk that, again, there's just dream after dream after dream and it just really is not going anywhere, the idea of engaging. So keep your day job. Don't think if you all of a sudden struck it rich for whatever reason that that means you've disengaged. Uh, those of you who are, are working and get that day where you're going to have a decent retirement, it's not thinking about just stopping and not doing anything. Yes, you should take vacations. Yes, you should enjoy it. But you're in a unique opportunity to serve your community, serve people in your life, and you don't need a paycheck. I love when I hear sometimes folks that uh, got a good pension or whatever, and so they've still got uh, maybe 10, 15 years of good health, and they pick up and go someplace and become a, a difference maker partner, a missionary around the world somewhere else. I've had some friends that have retired from law enforcement, and their pensions are pretty decent, and then they stop doing everything. They're called to this. They go and pastor a little church way up somewhere where they, the church could never afford a full-time pastor, but finances are not an issue. We ought to leverage our retirement, leverage our finances when it comes to a point where we don't actually need a payday to put food 
on the budget, on the, on the table. So keep your day job. There's also this idea that we ought to keep our budget. Again, I love that couple that they got all those millions and they said, what are we going to do with this? I mean, I, I would have thought it was okay to go out and buy a new car. I mean, I, I probably would have bought a new car and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, terrible Dave. But, uh, but they did none of those things. But uh, they were like, how do we use this to touch people's lives? It's just not about us living the e on easy street. Now, some of you may have heard these ideas before, but when it comes to keeping uh, a budget, there's a real simple little formula. I encourage you to read some of the things that Dave Ramsey puts out. We've got stuff in the library. We've got uh, that Right Now Media. If you're interested in figuring out your finances in a way that honors God, that has a budget, there's plenty of material out there. And I think when you sometimes go and dig a little deeper on your own, it has more traction in your life than someone just spoon-feeding spoon you. I would encourage you. You can figure out what makes your garden grow. You can figure out how to take your tractor apart. You can figure out how to bake a cake, the special kind of cake. You can put all those kinds of energies into figuring out your financial world and enjoying the fruit of living on a budget. So this is just a simple plan. This is idea 10-10-80. It's 10% uh, you give to the Lord in generosity. That's your tithe. And then 10% you save for that day when you do retire. And then 80% you live on. And some of us are in situations where this might not be possible. But probably most of us can at least start moving in that direction. And don't just think of the one exception to this concept. Well, what about this person? Well, yeah, they have a hard time doing that. And so then that causes you to say, I guess I don't have to do any of this in my life. Don't look for the exception to these guidings, these, these guidance, these principles, and say, well, because of this, I don't have to do this. If you're going to look for a way to, to go in a different direction, you're going to find a way. And you're going to find a way that you actually can pat yourself on the back and feel okay about it if that's really what you want. So don't do that. Uh, don't go looking for the answer that you want. Look for the answer that is actually right. So 10% uh, to the Lord. You know, some might say, well, you know, we're under grace and blah, 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 blah. Uh, if, if you look at scripture, there's no unwinding of this idea of bringing your first, fir first fruits to the church. There originally was the temple. And there's these ideas that God says, you know, Test me on this from Malachi. Uh, be generous to me. Be sacrificial to me. And find out if your finances work. And I have to say, and I've shared this before, when Cindy and I were first married and I was going to school full time and she's working at a private school and uh, working part time in the evenings at L.O. Bean and I was trying to do that, working at a pharmaceutical company. Uh, we did not have a lot of money. We had a little bit of money. I think I told you we had one student loan that was $129 a month, and we thought once that was paid off, we would be rich. We, I mean, really, we thought, man, if we were just free from that $129 a month, we would just be like living the high life. And, uh, you know, times have obviously changed, but things were tight. But we decided we were going to try to tithe. And some weeks we missed, but most of the time we tithed, and we Got that under control. That was the first, back then, check we wrote because uh, we knew there wouldn't be any left over. But again, what's amazing, when we wrote that check first, as you can see, and I say this, it doesn't look like missed any meals. 
still have a roof over my head. It's all worked out these last 34 plus years. And uh, it's not, you don't give to kind of like, kind of like, you know, it's not like giving, living. I'll give to God so he'll bless me, you know, give me more money. I've heard some preachers talk about if you give $10 to God, he'll bring back $100 to you. If that's, again, if that's your heart, if you're giving just to get, you've just missed everything. It's about showing who's first in your life. And so you give. Some people say, do you give before taxes or after taxes? I'm like, is it 9% or 12%? And, and, you know, when it comes to this, when you get to this place, I think God helps you work out those details. It's not like if it's 9.5%, you're sinning, and someone's giving 10.2%, they're, they're got it made. Because I think sometimes God calls us to give more than that, but it's a great place to start. So the idea of tithing. And for some of us, it may take a little while for us to get to that place. You may have to plan. Next time it's you're ready to buy another car and your payments are gone and you just kind of automatically slide into another payment, you may just say, I'm going to wait a year. My car's still working. I'm going to wait a year so I can start to adjust my finances. Some of us, this might be a four or five-year plan to get there, and you stick to that. What's amazing about finances is you can make 100 good decisions and then make one bad decision, and it wrecks everything. Some of us have been there. So this idea of pointing to God with your finances, being generous to him, and in some cases having to give sacrificially. And I'll just say this about sacrificial giving. I can't tell you when you give sacrificially. Some of us are in places where we've gotten used to tithing, and it's just kind of like another tax, if you will. You just kind of do it, so you don't almost even notice it that much. But uh, there are times where I think God calls us to say no to ourselves, no to our appetites, no to something new, no to something whatever, and we give sacrificially. But the one who tells you when to do that isn't Dave Spencer. It's your relationship with God. I don't want to own that decision for you. I want God to be making those decisions in your life. Next one is saving. I'll tell you, Cindy and I didn't get this right. It hasn't been until recently that we've really started working hard at saving that. Uh, when the kids were kids got their first jobs right out of college, out of whatever, you know, we really pushed them. Don't do what mom and dad did. You need to start saving now. Even if you can save 10% for like uh, your first 10 years, that money's going to work for you for the next 30 years. So get on that right away, especially if you work at a place that matches some kind of giving. That's free money. Don't give that up. So 10%, 10%, and then live on 80%. And there's some of us who, when if we live on 80%, that's too much. Uh, you know, I've heard stories where someone makes a ton of money, and just because they save 10%, and then they, they give 10% away, save 10%, it's just, it's still way too much. That's why you have to have a dynamic, growing relationship with God. Somebody, and these are numbers that none of us could get our mind. Someone who's making $300 million a year doesn't need to spend $290 million a year. You know, I mean, again, they can figure that out. Maybe the reason God's going to have them figure that out, and I don't have that kind of money because I wouldn't do that, but they, you know, they, God will help you figure that out. So this is a, a guideline, a direction to go in. Love what Deuteronomy out of the Today's Living um, Bible says, the purpose of tithing 
It's to teach you always to put God first in your lives. Another little piece of this is this. If you're trying to grow spiritually and you're spending time in your Bible every day, you're serving, you're doing all these other things, but finances are one thing that's off the table, I'm going to say it affects your spiritual growth. I don't know how it affects your spiritual I mean, it's negative, but I'm not going to say what way it is. But if you keep this one little part, just like any other part, and you keep that separate, I think it affects your growth. If you want to be a growing person in your relationship with God, you need to surrender all of your life. I need to surrender all my life. And tithing, giving is a part of an expression that God is first in my life. And so that is just so important. Honor God with everything you own. Give him the first and best. Your barns will burst. Your wine vats will brim over. And this is imagery. Again, this isn't this idea, I give $10 so I get $100. Because then your motivation is all off. The idea is that God will bless your life when you honor him with everything you have. Your time, your abilities, your talents, your treasure, everything. And uh, what, what to me is amazing about this verse is that we all love verses 5 and 6 of Proverbs 3, right? You know where I'm going? Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean on in your own understanding and all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. We love that part. Then we get into verse 7. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Shun evil. Turn your back towards evil, sinful behavior, behavior that doesn't honor God, that he speaks against. Live for what he speaks for. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. I know that when I'm super stressed out because I'm not trusting with God, guess what I get? Headaches. So when I have a headache, not every headache's caused by that, but when I have a headache, I have to ask, is my headache because I have a headache or is my headache because I'm not trusting God? It does affect our body. Sometimes we've heard about people having ulcers, too much acid in their stomach. Why? Because they're all worked up. And when you and I, who have said we're Christ followers, are not following Christ, we should get worked up. There should be a tension in our spirit. Something should be misfiring in our heart. So if you're thinking about following Christ, and you know you don't want to honor God with your finances, you may not want to say yes to him because you are going to live in tension as long as you hold on to that. I'm, I'm giving you open eyes. Following Christ is wonderful. You've got the promise of eternity. You've got uh, today walking with him. But, but there, there are some things where you've got to align. There are some things where you've got to surrender your life to him. So this idea of trust in the Lord always and lean not on your own understanding and acknowledge him in all your ways and he'll make your path straight. Yes, I love that. The next verse says, turn your back on evil. Don't do that. And it also says a couple verses down, honor God with everything you have. 90% with God goes farther than 100% without God. And this isn't, again, like a trick thing. I scratch God's back because he needs my money and then he... What are you thinking about? He doesn't need your money. He, he knows what it does to our hearts when we're generous with all of our life. 
And that's, if you have a holdout, you have a holdout, and then you're not living the full abundant life that he has to offer. So 90% with God goes farther. And I've heard stories, and I, I kind of buy into this, but I don't kind of buy I've had people, yeah, my car's 100 years old, and it keeps running, never runs out of gas because, you know, I'm honoring God, and my car never breaks down. I think that does happen sometimes, but I don't know if it happens all the time. If you're going, yeah, my car's been breaking down a lot. I'll start giving offerings, and then my car won't break down. No, don't be, don't do those things, okay? Just, just 90% with God goes, Father, honor God with your finances, and he will bless your life. And uh, the, 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 there's other blessings beyond finances, and uh, I, I would rather have some of those blessings than a little bit more money in my bank account. Now, of course, I have to do this, and this is not trying to be self-serving, but at Seneca Community Church, there's three ways you can give. You can give online, you can give in those offering boxes, and you can do it by mail. And uh, I'll tell you this about the online, since we're talking about this. When you give online and use your credit card or your debit card, there's a little bit more of a fee when you do it that way. If you get to the point where you want, you say, yeah, I want to be a regular online giver, if you can switch it over to going into one of your accounts and transfer it that way, uh, there's a less of fees that go against us. So when Cindy and I, like four or five years ago, started giving online, we started by doing credit cards. I'm like, I don't want to, you know, I don't trust this system. What's going to happen? You know, I don't want to give them my routing number and blah, 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 blah. So I wasn't going to do that. But then after four or five weeks, I said, oh, I guess this doesn't work. So then we started doing it that way. And it's funny about online giving, and you may not want this, but uh, we do want to be regular weekly givers, Cindy and I. And uh, um, up until online giving, there would be a couple weeks where we would miss. We're away, whatever. And then all of a sudden you go, wow, I've been gone two weeks. And this week, three, four, five weeks of 10%. That's like a lot of money. I don't know. You know, we kind of spent a little too much on vacation. Now we haven't missed in four years. And that's not any credit to us. It's just the bank keeps working. But that is our intent. So it helps us honor our intent. So. Anyway, that's, that's uh, you know, you get the idea. Uh, be sensible and store up pressure tre precious treasures. Don't waste them like a fool. And again, the idea of using all your resources wisely, leveraging them well. So, back to gambling. So, we talk about honoring God with our budget. So, wisdom and gambling. And the question for you, is it wise for you? Now, I have lots of other ways to waste money in my life than do that. It's not a thing for me. Some people like the rush of it. If you are doing the 10-10-80 and you can actually go and play cards or do whatever or go up to Largo and say, this is how much I'm going to spend, I'm not going to spend any more and do all that and not get enticed to take the next step, not for me. But I can't say, if you go back to other messages, that's a, ma a matter of conscience. My first exposure to getting sucked into this kind of thing was I went to the Topsfield Fair when I was in sixth grade, and it was one of those things where you throw a ball at something, and if you get it in the basket, you get bigger prizes. And uh, Vinny and I went there, first thing we did, and, you know, I don't know, we had whatever money we had, we got there first. It was one of these school trips because they wanted to go see the agricultural stuff. Of course, we went right to the gaming area and the rides to get looking at cows. Sorry about that, but that's what we did. 
and, uh, but within, within like an hour, all our money was gone. That guy, hey, one more time, one more time, one more time. And we don't have any more money. You're going to win it this time. We're out. So from that point on, for me, I'm like, I'm never doing it. I, got, I was a sucker, you know. I had my $10. It's gone. I didn't get any, you know, some of it's my coordination. Some of it, I think there was a little gimmick going on there. But anyways, yeah, you know, so, so that's my exposure. That was my, so that it's been like, you know, I'll, I'll buy a new iPhone. I know it's a little bit of a waste of money, but that, you know, but I'm not going to do that because I just don't want to throw money away that way. I'll throw it away in other ways. Some of us, if we go out to the movies and take our family and buy popcorn and soda, we spend a hundred bucks, maybe more. I don't know. I like to sit home in my TV and watch it on the screen. But anyway, but you know, you, you might spend a hundred bucks. Is 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 someone could say, well, that's kind of just wasting money. Whatever your entertainment is, if it isn't wrecking your budget, isn't busting your budget. Um, some of us uh, spend money on something else. Some of us have a hobby that's just taken over our world. Some of us spend too much money on Starbucks. Oh, no, no, no one could spend too much money on Starbucks coffee. That's the one. No, no. But, but, you know, you spend too much money on something. It grabs your heart. You need to say no to that. So you need to keep a budget. You need to be honest about your budget and how you determine what kind of money you're going to spend on entertainment if you as a christ follower before god can say you know this is fine then is it wise for you go for it but if it isn't wise for you don't do it and then there's this whole idea of weakness in gambling weakness in gaming if it controls all your life when we were talking about technology a few Maybe it's been six months ago. I don't remember when it was. But we were talking about technology, and it blew my mind that in China, they don't allow kids in school to play more than three hours of video games a week. And they don't allow kids to do it on the week. Weekend, okay. I don't know how they control that and all that kind of stuff. But they've determined that that is a waste of those young minds. You and I can get sucked into this stuff, and it's a waste of our young minds, and it's a waste of our old minds. And some of us who have older minds don't have much mind to waste, so we got to be aware of this. So you got to watch out for weakness, weakness of other people. Um, it's not that you live a dual life, but you need to know what to project that's a part of your life. You don't want to project things that's going to be a stumbling block for somebody else. Live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. Don't tear apart the work of God over what you eat. That's a big issue there. Remember, sacrifice to idols or not. Meat sacrificed to idols was much cheaper than meat that wasn't. Uh, remember, all foods are acceptable, but it's wrong to eat something if it makes another person stumble. You've got to at least ask that question. You've got to at least ask, how am I presenting what am i doing our community group i shared and i've shared this before um when i was a youth pastor about 30 something years ago cindy was working at l.o bean and we could get it we got a 33 percent discount off anything at l.o bean that was great and uh, i had some birthday money saved up and some christmas money saved up and I wanted a North Face Vortex jacket. I, I mean, 
not the cheap, fakey ones of today. I mean, this was like hardcore Gore-Tex, and that jacket must have been like, it was a Parker, it must have been like, you know, $375. But I had saved the money. I wasn't taking it from budgetary stuff. I had saved the money, got the discount, all that stuff. I bought that and wore it once or twice and decided I needed to take it back because I didn't like the message it sent to all the kids in the youth group because they knew exactly how much that jacket cost. Some of them had those jackets. A lot of them wanted those jackets. And so then I got the L.O. Bean knockoff that was basically the same, but it was cheaper because I just didn't want to send that message. And it does, it's not wrong to have one of those jackets. I actually forget one now. No, but, but it was not wrong to have one of those jackets. But I didn't want to send a certain message. What does love require of you? It's not about what I can get away with. It's what's going to help somebody else. And again, somebody can take this too far. Oh, I get offended when you do this, blah, blah, blah. And then sometimes you've got to say, you know, you've been a Christian for like 65 years. You need to get over it, you know, and, and you say that with love, you know. But uh, that, that's, that's, that's the reality of it. It's better to eat a meal or drink wine or do anything else if it might cause another believer to stumble. It's, not, it's better not to. <laughs> I didn't put the not in there. Isn't that important? Uh, it's not good to do that. So you love requires of you. And that turns on to our witness in this. You've got to say, what kind of message does that send? And uh, not to sound uh, too snitty or whatever, but, uh, you know, um, I remember the first time doing one of those raffle things. I'm going, oh, this is gambling. I you know, grew up from a background. Anything that looked like gambling, you know, getting something you hadn't earned was wrong. And I'm like, I, I can't buy one of those tickets. I, 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 you know, and then I wanted to have a discussion with the person selling the tickets who, who wasn't a believer. They're like, what is this guy even talking about? You, you know, you know it, it was not a witnessing problem. It was not. That person went to say, oh, he bought one of those tickets for this. And. And he's a Christian. He shouldn't have done that. I mean, there was, there was none of that. So, so be honest with your witnessing influence when you come to these kinds of things. Jesus replied, and you experts in the law, some of us who have followed Christ for a while, know the Bible pretty well. Woe to you because you load, because you load people down with burdens they can't hardly carry, and you yourself will not lift one finger to help them. Shame on you, shame on me, when I add unnecessary burdens to someone who's just starting out with faith or someone who's been at faith. So, you know, last week we talked about wine and weed, and uh, shame on me if I know someone's had a problem with that. I, I just want to give them some grace, cut them some slack. I just, I just don't want to be that guy that says, yeah, you know, everything's permissible, everything's instructive, da-da-da-da-da, and, uh, and I cause somebody else to stumble over a meal, over a drink, over a purchase, over a whatever. And again, that's not to be captive by another person, but you can work that out. You know when you're being captive by another person and when you're living a loving life towards another person. You can figure that out. We're all grown-ups. I don't have to give every situation the answer to that. So with that, woe to us when it comes to this idea of putting too much on somebody else. We got to look at our wit witness. We got to look at uh, the weaker brother who's still trying to struggle through those kinds of things. The person that uh, 
um, you know, is, is a brand new Christian trying to figure things out. We just need to cut them some slack or somebody has something in their back history that just they walk with a limp in this area. So, you know, we don't make their walk harder for them. They walk with a limp and then we go, yeah, we're going to go climb up 60 steps. Good luck with that. You know, we don't, we don't do those things, but we can do those kinds of things spiritually. So we watch out for that. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying. We just make obstacles. We're not doing it, but we point to the idea we're doing it. And you say, man, I may be doing these things, but it's the spirit in which you do. It's your motivation behind it. And you and I can make it harder for people to follow Christ. And and this isn't to put a guilt trip on you, but it's to put a conviction trip inspired by the Holy Spirit. If he's saying, you're out of line, if he's saying, I'm out of line, if I'm getting in the way of somebody following Christ, woe, 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 woe to you and woe to me. Because following Christ isn't easy, there's sacrifice but there is a peaceful rhythm. There is a joy and a peace that transcends all understanding when we follow Christ. I've said this a lot of times. If you're a Christ follower, if you're growing, which means you're spending time with him, you're offering all your stuff, which includes your finances, how you do, order your life, you're working on that, then you and I can have the blessing of pointing to certainty in an uncertain world. Nothing to, can speak Christ louder than you're kind of got it together. You're not coming apart at the seams because of your relationship with God. And there's other people in the life who go, how do you do that? How do you go through that dark valley? How do you even do that? How do you just even go to sleep? Uh, I was, you know, nuclear war on the horizon. How do you even live? How do you close your eyes? Because we have a peace. We can trust and not lean on our own understanding and we're plugging those other things in that go into verse 7, 8, 9, and 10. And so then when Jesus says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? And some of you may go, when I looked at the original language, I don't see any burned out on religion. What's Eugene Peterson doing? He's looking at the context. If you go to the verses before that, you see the Pharisees were burning everybody out on religion. They didn't want to follow God. They didn't want to follow Christ because they saw that it was impossible. And because it was impossible, they just gave up. And a big owner of that was these Pharisees. So Jesus is saying, that's not the way it's supposed to be. Come to me, get away with me, and you will recover your life. Faith isn't to drain your life. You're not to leave on a Sunday and go, oh, I did my church duty. That really kind of sucked, you know. And, uh, you know, walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it, Jesus says. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. And if we as Christ followers do just a little better in that area, wherever we're at, take it a kick it up a notch, we will find that our life impacts the world around us, beginning with those closest to us, our families, and then our communities, and so on and so on. And 
people, you'll have to have two or three services on a Sunday because people want to live freely in light. And in Christ, there is grace to live freely in light. Bottom line, gambling is a gamble, so don't bank on it. If you're trying to, like, have this super payday on anything, don't bank on it. It's not not your Jesus. There's only one Jesus. There's only one answer to life. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you for how real and honest and genuine your word is, how it applies to everyday life. Father, no matter where anybody is at this morning, I ask that you would put us in a place where we're looking to you for the answers. If we're a Christ follower, we lean into that. If we're not a Christ follower yet, we take our first step, place our trust in you. Thank you for your forgiveness, your resurrection, and begin walking our li- walking in our lives arm in arm with you. And then we can have that peace, that rhythm of lightness and freeness to our lives. We thank you. In Jesus' wonderful name.